you're listening to the Omega Church Sermon of the Week. Be sure to subscribe to this channel to stay up to date with our latest teachings and feel free to reach out to us via our Facebook page or website. As you listen to this message, we pray God will reveal himself to you in a fresh way. Praise the Lord. Let's say Omega is a house of worship. That is one of the key things. The heart of Omega is to worship God. And uh, this morning we are going to study the Psalm 42, which is again uh, a psalm that inspires people to connect with God. And um, Psalm 42, Psalm 43 is supposed to be one psalm. No one knows who separated them, why they separated it. So um, we don't have time to go into the, both the Psalms, but we'll try our best uh, to focus. As I always tell, um, my main focus is to open the Psalm to you, to give you the background, to give you certain keys, so that you will be able to enter and explore more of it. So when you go home and read Psalm 42, it should be more alive, it should make more sense to you. That's all the, that is the basic uh, way of looking at it. Now, one of the things, uh, you see the picture of uh, a deer there. Oh, it's more clear on my laptop, not on that one. So anyway, so that's trying to get a sip of water there, you know, <laughs> the deer. You know, deer, when I think about the deer, certain things come into my mind. One of the things is uh, the male deer, they extract musk from it. You know, musk is one of those scents. And because of that, that animal gives away its scent. And if a lion or tiger, you know, uh, they sense the smell, they know the food is somewhere nearby, you know. Just like somebody is cooking pork in (laughs) in your oven, you know that it's being cooked somewhere. So when it is being chased, basically, uh, by a predator animal, then it gets tired. And then that's the time it wants to have a drink. So the psalmist must have watched one of these um, female deer must be exhausted being chased by an arm in a predator. And now it wants to refresh itself and is longing for a drink from a stream or from a, a fresh waters. So this picture um, also is also similar to a picture that you see in the book of Joel, chapter 1, verse 20, where the land is parched. In the sense, when there's no rain for a long time, you'll see cracks in the ground everywhere the land is cracked. And that is crying out to God for a rain. It's like, it's like that. So here, um, the desire for water, the desire for water. So man can live without food for many more days, but he cannot go long for without water. That's very, very important. You can live sometimes, you know, people fast for 40 days, but I think they at least have to have drink water. Otherwise, it's very difficult to survive. Very few people I know who have survived without water for 40 days. It's impossible. Water is one of those things. So when you do fasting, just drink at least water because that will sustain uh, the whole body functions of the different parts of the body. But what does the deer do when it is being chased? One of the things I learned is that it will go into the waters and hide letting its nose just above the water to breathe. The rest of the body, it hides in the water. And then, 
it will be it will be swimming in the middle of the stream so it doesn't come near to any branch or anything so anything can jump off it and catch it you know it will be so carefully in the middle of the stream and it will just be putting its nose out so that it's just able to breathe it can stay there like that as long as it can maybe an hour one and a half hour until the one uh, the animal that is chasing it goes away very far it remains in the water you know when I was thinking, as I was worshipping, the Lord brought to me this thought. The waters is God himself. The water is God himself. When you are worshipping him, when you are praising him, you are hiding in God like that deer that is hiding from the enemy. The moment you come out, you are exposed to the enemy. When Satan is going to attack you, he's going to overpower you, he's going to finish you off. But if you are submerged in the water and you are just living there in the water, submerged in God, submerged in God, no force of the enemy can touch you. Amen? That is a secret of worship. That is a secret of worship. And uh, I, I, when I learned about this deer hiding in the water, I said, what sense does it make? Should I tell this to people? You know, sometimes as a preacher, you'll be thinking about what to tell, what not to tell. So I was thinking, should I talk about it? But <laughs> sometimes in a Facebook also, we'll talk to you. So this morning in the, in the bathroom, I was going through pages, and I see a posting by I mean, Cadme and Dana. They put a quotation from A.W. Tozer. He's my favorite author, A.W. Tozer. He said, Worship doesn't happen only on Sunday. If it happens only on Sunday, it is not worship. It has to happen on Monday, it has to happen on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That is worship. So if you are a person who worships God, you don't worship just on Sunday and walk away. It is not worship. It is not worship. The whole idea of this morning is, even as John was saying, connect your heart with God's heart. As you worship, as you sing to him, connect your heart. That is, the, that is our whole purpose, our existence, is to connect with God and live with God. If there is any one purpose of God, one purpose for man, it is to know God and enjoy him forever. To know God and enjoy him forever. Tell your neighbor, the purpose of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. And how does it happen? It happens every, it has to happen every day, not just on Sunday. So worship is that. Here the psalmist is longing for the presence of God. How do we say that? The very first verse is, as a deer pants for streams, at, streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When can I go? When? The word when. Observe the word when. When can I go and meet with God? So some people think it is, this is, you know, when you, uh, when you uh, look at the title on the, on the top of the psalm, it says, For the director of music, a muscle of the sons of Korah. This is not written by David. It is written by sons of Korah. Now, who is the sons of Korah? Sons of Korah, um, basically they are, their father is Korah. But Korah is descendant of Kohath. But when you read in the Numbers chapter 16, this son of Korah rebelled against Moses' leadership and Aaron's leadership. And he gathers 250 other people from among the 2 million people who are following Moses. And all of them rebelled against Moses. And God said, ask them to assemble before the tent of meeting. And when they came, and they also came with censer, 
to put incense for God. And, and God said, move away from this crowd. I'm going to kill them. And the fire from God came and killed the 250 of the people who rebelled against the leadership of Moses. And then some were sitting there in their own tent. And there again, Moses goes and says, move away everybody from the tent. And the earth opened up and swallowed the people who were in that place. Everybody. And the fear of God came upon the people. And not only that, those who had sympathy and who had a heart that was to rebel against Moses, even they were killed by pestilence. Until Aaron went with the censer and stood between the dead and the living, the plague continued. So it was a very sad situation. But what the good thing is, the sons of Korah escaped from that judgment. There's not full details about it. I think Numbers 26 talks about how they escaped from it. But um, the sons of Korah were so grateful to God that later on they became leaders in worshiping God. Leaders in worshiping God. So Prophet Samuel and King David, when they appointed singers, they appointed sons of Korah. It's not a music band I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> sons of Korah. So the sons of Korah are appointed to lead worship. So they will take their positions, one, uh, 200 plus people, and they will take their position to worship God with one voice, to sing unto him. And I tell you, worship should become a lifestyle. What did I say? I don't hear you. Should become a lifestyle. It is not something you do for a few minutes in a, in a day. It's not you do something on Sunday and forget about the rest of the week. You must connect with God all the time and worship him. And the thirst, the thirst should be like a deer that is panting for the waters of a cool waters. What is this panting? We don't use that word daily, do we use it? We don't use that word pant. In fact, even in the uh, Bible, the word pant is used only three times. Two times used in Psalm 42, verse 1. The deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. So what is panting? When you run, when you are being chased by an animal who wants to kill you, and you are running and running and running, you are exhausted. Somehow you escape from the animal that is uh, chasing you. And now you are trying to catch your breath. What kind of breathing you have? And you are thirsty from being chased. And you have lost all your energy. And you don't have strength anymore. And you are limping and limping and limping just to get just a sip of water to refresh you. That is panting. That is panting. How much is the desire for water in that animal? That is how you must desire to worship God, to connect with him. I tell you, the moment you read all this, you'll say, oh, you, you say, do I have this kind of panting for, do I pant for God? Is my soul panting for God? On a scale of one to 10, how many marks do you give? Your desire to worship God, your desire to connect with God, your desire to be submerged in God, to be protected from the enemy. How much do you desire God? And the other word, other time it is used is in Joel 1.20. As a land, there was no rain. And uh, for a long time. And the earth was cracked everywhere. And the earth, when it looks up to heaven, is longing for the fresh rain to fall upon it. That is how you, you, it should be a cry. It should be a heart should be crying out to God for the visitation of God. The rain, the rain, the rain. And when you long for it, that is how you do it. That is how you worship God.
So this, pro, this psalm is written by one of the Levites, probably who was away from Jerusalem. How can we say by this word, when can I go and meet with God? So for them to go to Jerusalem and worship in the tabernacle was their object. And the Levites were always had access to this place. Probably he was carried away by an enemy that invaded, the, invaded Israel, Israel and took him as captive and put him in a different place. Or he was hiding and he ran away because you see elsewhere he was in a place called, uh, in verse 6 it says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. So that means he was away from Jerusalem in the land of Jordan, uh, beyond the river Jordan. And from where he was able to look to the Mount Hermon, and Mount Mizar. We don't know exactly where Mount Mizar is now, but it is there in the scripture. So they say the Mount Hermon is always covered with ice. It's always covered with ice. So when that ice melts and begins to flow down, that becomes the Jordan River. And as it is crashing on the, uh, as it is crashing on the rocks, as it is flowing and foaming and coming down the river, there is so much and he describes that as deep calling unto deep. And these waters coming down from the height of Hermon, ultimately they flow into the Dead Sea. It goes into the deep. So, and waters, here the word deep is the depths of the ocean, basically. Basically the depths of the ocean. So your spirit is the depth from which you call out to the deep things of God. The deep calls to deep. So there is the intensity in this psalm. The intensity is very, very strong. In fact, the word my, he used about 10 times in this, in this psalm. And then the pronouns me, my, you, thee, and all kinds of words are used for 50 times. So there is a personal element. The psalm is connected with God in a very personal way, very intense way. The intensity is very, very high in this psalm. That is what we have to capture. If you want to capture the heart of the psalmist, then you capture the heart of worship. The sons of Korah were known for worshiping God. And they were also, they were also some of them were prophets. As they worshipped, they prophesied. Everybody said, as they worshipped, they prophesied. Do you want to know the key to prophecy? Learn to worship God. Learn to worship God. Then God will give you the gift of prophecy. It will flow from it. It will flow from it. No gift stands by itself alone. Everything is connected to worshiping God, knowing God and enjoying God, worshiping God. So we see um, verse 2, 4, 6, and 3, 1. Um, we see that uh, they lived among the Gentiles. And this psalmist, whoever wrote the psalm, was going or used to going to Jerusalem with the crowds of people. You know, when they have three festivals, one of the festival of, tabernacles, festival of tabernacles, and when they come from different parts of Israel, they will be traveling in groups, families, and then other families, you know, they all become one big group and will be traveling. And what do they do? They'll be singing and dancing on the way. How many kilometers? All the way. From wherever the house is, until they reach Jerusalem, they are singing and dancing. And he was a leader who was going with the people, leading them uh, to Jerusalem, singing and dancing on, on the way. And now he's not able to do it. That's why he says, when can I come into the presence of God? When can I go and meet with God? That's his longing. I tell you, that longing is like the longing of the deer, which is longing for the waters. 
But when I look at the word thirst in the New Testament, I think I should look into the thing instead of just speaking. And one other thing that you need to observe here is he calls God Elohim in this psalm. What does he call him? Elohim. Whereas until Psalm 41, the word Yahweh was dominating. From 42 to 72, that is called book 2 of Psalms. You know, it's divided into three books. 1 to 41, book 1. 42 to 72, book 2. 73 to 150, book 3. So in second part of the Psalms, you see Elohim dominating a lot. Elohim. It's just name of God, definitely. It stands for the sovereign God, the powerful God, and it is a plural. El or Eloha is singular. Elohim is plural. So even though they call, they believe in one God, but when he, they address him, they address him with a plural word. It's like you. I can talk to one person and say you, and I can talk to three people and say you. Because that word you, you can have plurality or singularity, depending on the context. So here, whenever they apply it to God, Though they believed in one God, they called him Elohim. That was a hint to the Trinity of God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's just a hint. I'm just trying to put a hint there. See, I put a picture there for a past land. Land that is thirsting for water. So there, there are two kinds of thirst we see here. It is one is panting, and the Hebrew word is tarog. Ta-a-rog, the streams of water. And then the other word is uh, samaye, samaye, my soul thirsts, samaye here. It is also seen in Psalm 63 verse 1, uh, for the living God. Now again, he, his way of looking at God is very, very interesting. He calls him God first, and then he calls him living God. And then he says, when can I see the face of God? Now there is a Increasing desire to know God more closer. He's not just, God is not a distant God, but is a God who is closer. God is a, who is a very, very close God. And he says, when can I go to God? And again, he says, well, how, I want to seek this living God. I want to tell you here a personal testimony. My first ever prayer that I prayed to God was something similar like this. I went to a camp when I was 17. In the camp, they taught about God, sin, salvation, all the doctrines and everything. And I'm a, just from a Hindu background, a non-Christian family, and I go sit in the camp, I listen to all these things. One thing that struck me again and again and again is the word living God, which I never heard from my childhood about any of the gods my family worshipped. So one evening I sat on a rock and I said, God, I hear that you are a living God. If you are a living God, prove yourself living God in my life. Prove yourself living God in my life. I prayed this prayer in the year 1977, October 19th. 42 years later, even now, God is still answering that prayer. He's proving himself living God in, living God in my life. I tell you, sometimes some prayers, God answers forever and ever and ever. You ask for provision. He doesn't just provide you 100,000 and just forget about you for the rest of your life. You live for 50 years, 70, he keeps providing. So you pray once, but he keeps providing for the rest of your life. So some prayers God answers for every, every day he answers that prayer. 
and this prayer I prayed in 42 years ago, God is answering. He's showing his power to me more and more and more. He's showing that he's a living God. He meets the needs of the people. He is the one who is healing people. He is the one who is delivering people. It's amazing to see this God. We, the way I see his power unfold before me, it amazes me. And so many times I said, God, do I deserve this kind of kindness? Do I deserve this kind of kindness? And my heart is overwhelmed just to know that this God is a living God. That is what this cry of the psalmist is. He wants to know this living God. He wants to know his power. He wants us to know, see his glory. And he longs for the living God. And he wants to see the face of God. Now that is staring into the face of God. How do you expect a psalmist who is removed from Jerusalem, hundreds of kilometers, longing to look into the face of God? That is how the desire has to be there. But the best of the time, best of the things that I can see about the desire things is, this word is used, the Greek word, equivalent Greek word is epipotheo. Epipotheo is used nine times in the New Testament. And most of the time it is used by Paul. When he writes to the Romans, he says, I long to see you. I long to see you. He's saying, I am thirsting to see you. I am panting to see you. I, I am really longing. How do we really long for people like that? He was an itinerant pastor, I would say. Paul was an itinerant pastor. He never stayed in one church for the rest of his life. No. He would start a church, make sure the, uh, the church is going well, appoint people to take care, and then he'll go to another city. He'll plant another church. He'll make sure some, somebody is raised there who will take care of the flock, and then he'll leave that and go. But when he wants to, these Romans, he never saw them, basically. He never met the uh, church in Romans, uh, Rome, and he's telling them, I'm panting. I'm panting after you. I'm longing for you so that I may visit you, that I may something good. I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. I tell you, if the pastors have that kind of a panting for the church, do you think the church will ever die? We need pastors who have this longing for their congregation and for their good, for their spiritual development, for their safety, for their protection. And when the pastor is on his knees and praying for the church, do you think enemy can come and touch anybody in that church? I have prayed for you all last night. I prayed with the same kind of prayer. I said, Lord, whoever is coming, I, even though I was at home, I said, I cover every seat with the blood of Christ. And whoever comes and sits on the seat, let your comfort come to them. Let your love be flow into them. Let them know you, you care for them. Let them know that you love them. Pour out your love upon them. Pour out your love upon them. This is what I cried last night. That is what we have to learn from Paul. To pant for the children of God. He writes the same thing to the Philippians. How greatly I long after you. Philippians 1.8. And Timothy he writes the same thing. Timothy has just now come from us. Uh, you has, uh, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. The Thessalonians were having the same desire to for Paul. Now Paul was saying, I, did, "I pant for you to Romans, to the Philippians." Now the Thessalonians are panting after the pastor. They are longing to see the pastor. Now it's mutual. When the pastor loves the congregation, congregation loves the pastor. 
You agree? Say amen. So that is what longing and panting is all about. And Peter writes about the same kind of a thing. He is writing to the new believers and he says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word of God. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. You need to have the same desire. You should have the day desire for the word of God. Just like the newborn babies are long for milk, they are longing for milk. When they cry, mother knows it is for milk, no, nothing else. So the mother gives the milk. I tell you, when you have this longing for the milk, the word of God, you will grow. You must have that panting for the word of God. One of the things that I can ever remember in my life is somehow God put the desire for the word of God in my heart. I just don't know why he did it, but I know one thing. That is what has kept me alive until today. When you long for the word of God, when you are panting for the word, the word is the one that will refresh you. Now I'm coming to the most important one. Jesus is the one who can really satisfy. Jesus is the one who can really satisfy your thirst. He saw one woman, the Samaritan, come in the middle of the day, mid of the day, when the heat was intense. Nobody comes to a well to draw water. And that was a good time for that lady to come. She doesn't want to hear people talk about her. Doesn't want people to uh, um, in, uh, murmur and whisper and talk about her. So he come, she chose to come at a time when nobody is at the well. And then Jesus was there at the well. And when she comes to draw water, he says, give me a drink. I am a Samaritan. You are a Jew. How can you ask me for a drink? How can you ask me for a drink? He said, if you knew only who is that is asking you for water, you would have asked him for water, and he would give you water so that you will never thirst. Now, Jesus is the one who is able to quench the thirst. He is the living water. He is the, himself the living water. If you drink him, if you believe him, then in you will bubble streams of living water from you. You will become a source of living water. And I tell you, the greatest of the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah was given not just to the apostles, not to all the people, but to that lady, the woman, the Samaritan woman. And she says, I know Christ, when he comes, we are going to be satisfied. The one who is speaking to you, I am he. The one who is speaking to you, I am he. I am the one, the Messiah. And he told her what, all about herself, that she had five husbands. The one she's living with is not, right now is not her husband and um, many things. Then she runs into the village and tells everybody, come and see this man who told everything about me. Do you think he is Christ, the Messiah? And they come, the whole village comes to hear him. And they say, please stay here for two more uh, with us. He stayed two more days. And after two more days, they said, now we believe he is the Christ, not because you told us, because we heard ourselves. How did it all begin? That thirst for water. The thirst for water. The woman, the Samaritan woman, had the thirst for the living God. But her life was not showing that she had any thirst. You may see people today on the street. You may see people who are drug addicts. You may see people, different kinds of people. I am telling you one thing. There is something in them which is crying out to God, saying, I need, this, I need my thirst to be quenched. 
and they are looking in the wrong place. They are looking, they are satisfying by the wrong things. They are satisfying the desire by the wrong things. But when you have that Christ, the one who is in you, who is a source of bubbling living water in your belly, you will become that drink of water to the person. So you just don't become like the psalmist who is longing for water, come and drink the water satisfied. Come into the temple of God, worship God, go home. Now, you can't just be living like that. This thirst should lead you to lead someone else to quench their thirst. If you have the thirst, you have to become source of quenching someone else's thirst. And the Holy Spirit is within every believer. If you have believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. Turn to your neighbor and say, if you are a believer, Holy Spirit is in you. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit is basically longing for you. The Spirit of God that placed in us is filled with fierce desires. James chapter 4 verse 5. He is filled with fierce desire. Desire to protect you. Desire to bless you. Desire to satisfy your spiritual needs. Desire to satisfy your physical needs. Desire to satisfy your emotional needs. But I tell you so many times, we are acting like dumb and deaf people. We ignore the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who wants to help us. We keep doing things to grieve him. We say things that we should not be saying. We do things that we should not be doing. Why? When we do that wrong, you are quenching the spirit. You are making him silent. You are making him silent. But he is there in you, wanting to raise your spiritual level from ground to put you on a rock higher than yourself. He is desiring. He is desiring. He is fighting within you. But you are ignoring him. Then you cannot prosper. You cannot prosper. You cannot draw close to God. Unless we cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is dwelling in us. And Jesus used the same word on the Sermon on the Mount. The Greek word is dipsao, the thirst. You have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you have the hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. But tell you something here. The psalmist is not talking about any of these things. Hunger of righteousness and holiness. He's not talking. He says, I'm hungering for God. I'm thirsting for God. I'm panting for God. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing less. So your life should be so focused on God, enjoying God, knowing God. Did the psalmist say here, I'm longing for righteousness, I'm hungering for holiness, any of these things? He didn't say. He said, I'm longing for God. He said, my soul pants for you, O God. If I two, finish two verses, I'll be very happy today. <laughs> so John chapter 4, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. The physical water you drink, you'll be thirsty again after some time. But when you come to Jesus and drink him, you'll never thirst again. Not only for now in life here, even after death, when beyond 
in heaven there is streams of water from which you will be allowed to drink you will be allowed to drink in heaven it's in book of revelation chapter 21 but whoever drinks the water i give them will never thirst indeed the water i give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life john 4:14 the jesus declared in 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 uh, john chapter 6 he says i am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty but what is this, what is the secret of not to be thirsty what is the secret what did jesus say you believe in him you will never be thirsty so the psalmist prayer is answered by jesus do you see the connection the prayer of psalm the psalmist is answered by who jesus he says you eat me you drink me you will not go hungry you will not be thirsty so you are having having that longing for god that will be fulfilled only in jesus christ you will be fulfilled it will be fulfilled only in jesus christ revelation 21:5 he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will give water without cost from the spring of water of life those who are victorious will inherit all this and i will be their god and they will be my children you need this thirst to be quenched forever christ only can do it in this life and life after he can quench the thirst forever and he can feed you from the waters um i will give you water without cost from the spring of water of life he is a spring of water of life he is the spring of water of life you can drink from him you can drink him and be satisfied you can drink and be satisfied hunger and thirst are the most two powerful instincts that drive our day let breakfast lunch and dinner be a time of communion every time you eat something whether you eat corn flakes or you eat oats or you eat idli sambar it doesn't matter but when you are eating remember and thank him lord i'm feeding on you by faith even as i feel my physical body i'm feeding on you for my spiritual need it can be a very simple 3 second 5 second in your mind but tell it to god i'm feeding my physical body i'm having my breakfast but i'm feeding on you i'm feeding on you sustain me by your grace fill me with your mercy fill me with your grace it doesn't take long as you keep doing it becomes a practice you will not put even even at an untimely time you eat something you pick up a banana and you put it in your mouth you say lord i thank you i'm feeding on you you go thirsty and drink, take a drink from the fridge you say lord i'm feeding on you you are the water of life i tell you this is the way to develop a style lifestyle of worshiping connecting with god is to do everything connecting with him eat and drink remember him why because they are similar to our spiritual need the physical need should be an indication for spiritual need so eat and drink lunch or breakfast or dinner sit at the dinner table thank god oh we thank you for the people say thank you for the hands that are made all those kinds of things why do you want to bless the hands bless the person 
who made the dinner. <laughs> but I, I assume it is a figure of speech, but people just use it like that. And I, that figure of speech always blows my mind. I said, why do you want to bless only hands? Bless the whole person, you know. <laughs> but basically say, Lord, I'm feeding on you. You know, when you feed on Christ, you become one spirit with him. You become one spirit with him. Communion is also similar to the same thing. When you partake in the communion, you are feeding on Christ. And you become one spirit with him. Whoever eats the bread drinks the cup. You become one spirit with him. Why don't you become one spirit when you have breakfast, lunch or dinner? Is it a good idea or not? This is how I do. You like it, do it. Otherwise you can find another way. But I think that's the best way. <laughs> Now when he is some, um, he's struggling with all these issues. Now after all, understanding that he, the, the reason why he's writing the psalm is because he's away from Jerusalem. He's living in a place that's far off and he's longing to go back to Jerusalem, but he's unable to go. And that's why he's longing to come there. And he wrote this psalm. But then when he's away from Jerusalem, people are looking at him and saying, where is your God? Why are you not able to be normal? Why are you not able to go to Jerusalem? If your God is there, why doesn't he provide for you? You are sick, why, are you, why, why does your God not heal you? You got financial problems, why, does, why not your God fill, fill your needs? You have relationship problems, where is your God? You are, you are going to Sunday, every Sunday, you are, you are quarreling with your wife and husband at home all the time. This question will come when you say you are a child of God, people will look at your life and ask this question, where is your God when you are having problems? What is the answer? Knowing God more closer to him, pleasing him, living a life that is conformity with his will is the only answer. There's no way to get discouraged about it. So Psalm 45, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted unease in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I looked at the word disquiet. There's nothing about quietness about it, the word. What is disquieted? What does disquiet mean? Uneasiness. But when I looked into the Hebrew word for it and looked up where all it is used, it is used in different ways. At least 20 different ways it is used. I'll just give you a few. Um, disquiet has nothing to do with quietness. Just the opposite. To murmur, growl, roar, be boisterous, howl like a dog, roar like the waves, make an uproar, be disturbed. I tell you, that is how it should be. Your spirit should be disquieted. You should roar, bark like a dog. What is this? It is something you are reacting to when people come and tell you, where is your God? You are reacting to God and say, hi oh God, this is not right. This is not right. I don't accept it. I am your son. I need your protection. I am your daughter. I need your protection. I am your son and daughter. I need your health. I need wealth. I need everything. How can this be? I don't accept it. When Jesus, every time he talks, he only uses the word. I just now read a verse from Revelation 21. It is done. On the cross, he said, it is finished. And I was thinking about it. Oh, it was a mind-blowing thing for me this week. When I pray for somebody who is in need, am I going to beg God and say, change things? Give me this thing for this person. Touch him, heal him. I stopped doing it. I'm saying, Lord, you already have done it. On the cross, it is finished. 
His healing already is done. Now I command that body to be healed right now. Why? It's already healed. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, when he died upon the cross, he paid for your healing. He paid for your blessing. He paid for your salvation. He paid for everything. It is done. It is done. It is done. It is done. If it is already done, what are we doing now? We have to say it is done. When the pain comes in your stomach, you put your hand upon it and say, it is done. Therefore, this pain cannot be in my body. I command it to leave me now. Why? It is already done. Healing is already done. When your leg pains and your knee is paining, don't go on limping and limping and say, oh, I got this pain. Maybe it's arthritis. Maybe it's that. Maybe knees need replacement. Don't do all those things. Put your hand on your knee and say, it is done. In the name of Jesus, I command this pain to go now because it is done. And what are you doing? You are feeding on these waters. You are thirsty. You are panting because of the pain. And you are asking God to heal. It is already done. One great preacher said, you don't ask God to do something which he already has done. You don't ask God to do something which he already has done. Tell your neighbor, you don't ask God to do something which he already has done. The other thing is, you don't tell God to do what you should be doing. You don't tell God to do what you should be doing. These two things will change your life. If you believe it and act on it, these two things will change your life. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You will see this verse 5 repeated again in verse 10. Sorry, uh, 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, for my Savior and my God. It's not over. Psalm 43, the following psalm, again verse 5, it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. So that is how we know that these two psalms are part of the same psalm. Someone divided into two separate psalms. And <coughs> my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Bizar. Distance is not a barrier. Where you are doesn't matter. He was thinking, I must go to Jerusalem to connect with God. But what God is saying, you can connect from Jordan. You can connect from Hermon. You can connect from any place. You can connect to God with, from Christchurch. You can connect to God from Fiji. You can connect to God from any, any part of the world. God is near to you anywhere. In the Old Testament, you have to go to Jerusalem to connect with God. But in the New Testament, you can connect with God wherever you are. You can live in a hut and connect with God. You can live in a palace and connect with God. You can be poor and connect with God. You can be rich and connect with God. What a blessing it is. God will not judge you for being poor. God will not judge you for being rich. But he will definitely judge you for not connecting with God. Not connecting with God. That's very important. So he is, he is crying out. By day, the, I mean, uh, in actually verse uh, 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? When they are challenging, Where is your God? Tears became my food day and night. 
that is a very sad picture of the psalmist. He is feeding on the tears. He is crying and feeding on the tears. This, and no Christian should do, need to do it. No Christian need to do it. Let not your tears be your food. Let praising God be your food. Let worshipping God be your food. Like the deer hides its scent by submerging itself in the waters. Submerge yourself in, in God so that the devil can never get the scent of you. Dive into God so that devil cannot smell. Where is Ramana? Mm. I can smell him. He must be somewhere in one kilometer distance. You are submerged in God. Devil has no clue where you are. You are hiding in God. In fact, Paul says, my life is hid with Christ. If your life is hid with Christ, enemy cannot find you. Enemy cannot find you. That's very, very important. And then he says, this taunt, how is this taunt compared to? By the day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. Now that's the beautiful testament. In verse 8 he says, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. When you connect with God, he puts a new song in your heart. So many times when I pray for people, God says, I'm putting a new song in their heart. I have, I have said it to many people like that. Now where does it come from? It is from this song. When you worship God, he puts a new song, a new song in your heart. There will not be tears, there will not be crying anymore. Instead, there will be a new song. Worship will produce more worship. Praise will produce more, more praise. Why? Because that God is the one who will feed it. When you feed on him, it will lead to more worship, more praise, not, not tears, not crying. Then I say to God, my rock, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? And now comes the verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my toes, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? If somebody takes a saw and cuts into your bone, what kind of pain one will get it? He says, when the people taunt me and say, where is your God? I feel like agony in my bones. Do we have that concern for God? Don't have concern for your, don't be pathetically sympathetic to your crying, your circumstances, your problems. Be concerned about the glory of God. When somebody looks at you and says, where is your God? That should move you more than your own problem. Your concern for God's glory should dominate more than your concern for your comfort. And when you have that kind of heart, God will come through your problem. He will be your rock and he will be, um, uh, he will not forget you. He will not forget you. The simple reason, Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? And he has gone through that so that you will be remembered forever. What Christ has gone through for you, you don't have to go through. What Christ has paid for, you don't have to lack. If you paid for your sickness, you don't have to suffer sickness. If you paid for your peace, you don't have to have strife in your life. If you paid for your blessing, you don't have to have a curse in your life. That is the reason why when you merge yourself, submerge yourself in God, that God will protect you. That God will bless you. That God will do everything that you need to, you need in your life. And verse 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And in fact, in another version it says, my Savior. The word my Savior, if you look in the Hebrew, it says Yeshuat. Yeshuat is the word, my Savior. So Jesus is my Savior. And when you look to him, you will be radiant. You will be full of light. And they will not be And he says, my God, and the help of my countenance. In another word says, you are looking into the face of God. And when you look to the face of God, help comes. When you look to the face of God, light comes. Darkness goes. When you look to the face of God, your pain goes, your sickness goes, everything goes. Why? When you come into the presence of God, you cannot have any of these things. It's contrary for them to re remain in the presence of God. But I tell you one more small thing and I want to close. Do Christians go through depression? Should a Christian go through depression? No. There's no room for any Christian to be depressed. You don't need those medication every morning and night to go, come through depression. Because when you believe in God, he is the one who protects you. He is the one who saves you. He is the one who puts a new song in your heart. He puts a new joy, new strength. So there is no need for any depression. But I was many years ago, I read about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa says she was not feeling the presence of God. She was praying. Even the TV camera crew will come and uh, take the video of her praying, video of her uh, helping people, hugging the lepers, and doing all things. And she said, I have to smile because people expect me to smile. I, I was thinking, mm, is it? And uh, there is a man called John of the cross. And he wrote something called Dark Night of the Soul. And if you find, you can find it on the net. You can read that book, Dark Night of the Soul. But what I'm trying to say here is, there will be times when you feel the absence of God. When you feel as if God is not with you. As if God doesn't hear you. As if God has left you. As if God has forgotten you. But he never does that. It is your feeling. That's your feeling. So I remember Mother Teresa's story a long time ago. I read maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I said, let me read again. So I searched again. Time Magazine has an article on Mother Teresa about the dark night of the soul. I read it again. 50 years, she says she never felt the presence of God. I said, after so many years, I don't accept that statement. She's wrong. If I don't feel God for two weeks, I will pant for him. If I feel I don't see a revelation, I don't hear the Lord speak to me for two weeks, I will be desperate and say, God, you don't speak to me. I am going to be like a man going into the bottomless pit. I need you to come through to me. I need you to speak to me. I need to refresh me. I need to speak to me, Lord. And he does. And this lady has kept quiet for 50 years. I just said, this is not right. Get, get the right theology in your mind. Right theology in your mind. And um, also some people particularly the Catholics, you know, they feel that you can partake in the sufferings of Christ. So there was one guy, an Indian man, a priest, he went after it, prayed for it, until he will be shaking and falling on the ground for hours together and blood will come out of his hands. I said, mm, is this right? I said, 
devil is accommodating him what is who is accommodating devil is accommodating him but all the people think oh, he's a saint he's a, he's a great man of god he is doing this he is doing that blood is coming out of his hand just like christ is crucified when i read the story i said no this is not right you don't need to paul said i i long to partake in the sufferings of christ and he was said i want to compensate for anything is lacking in the suffering is there anything lacking in the sufferings of christ nothing lacks is perfect sacrifice people take that kind of a inspiration from paul's words and say i want to suffer i want to feel the pain when you ask for it devil gives you the pain not god so pray wisely pray wisely don't uh, suffer and say is god who is allowing me to suffer god never allows you to suffer god never put suffering on you he paid for your deliverance paid for your salvation pay for your happiness joy that when you believe in him that living water will bubble out of your belly it will flow like a stream so that you will become a source of blessing to other people is not to suffer and die not to suffer and die so the question this will will we'll come back to the question is how much do you long for god do you pant after him like a deer pants for the cool waters if that panting is not there if the thirsting is not there you have to question yourself do you know this god at all if a man and a woman desire to live forever get married and then this man says oh, i am going to marry this lady after 6 months it doesn't think about her in the morning doesn't think about her in the afternoon doesn't think about her in the night or oh, any time doesn't give her a call doesn't text her do you think that man loves her or if she says um why after one week two weeks uh, i hope everything is going good just one word do you think she loves him god put the human love as an indication as an indicator to know whether you love god that everything you see remind you about your love for god you are created to know him and to enjoy him forever your he, he put the thirst in you he put that hunger in you and if you are not feeling that hunger pangs if you are not feeling the thirst for god something is missing you don't know him you are not saved if you are saved you must have this hunger you must have this uh, um, thirst for him like the deer pants for the cool water amen We are going to pray now. Let's stand up. Shara ka bastar kare niste. Kuri sha ka baharasto kuroni. Re bastu surosto kuroni. Thank you, Jesus. It is done. It is done. It is done. Just connect with God. Just connect with God. Tell Him how much you love Him. Tell Him that you are longing for Him. tell him how much of panting after him tell him how much of thirsting for him oh lord i need that thirst and when you drink from him that drink will satisfy not only your thirst but it will become a living source of water in your own self it will bubble up like streams of water from within you you will become a source of quenching someone else's thirst someone else's thirst 
just worship him connect with him now and worship him worship him worship him rosha ka barana saras roho se barana sandarasto rasha barasto rogondarasto samara shakte roho boroni ribahastastaro koro risha ka baharo mighty god almighty god i worship you elohim i worship you yahweh i worship you covenant keeping god i worship you as the children of god are standing up in your presence holy spirit i call upon you to refresh everybody here touch every one of their hearts lord i pray come with let your glory come upon them let your glory come upon them let your glory come upon them refresh their thirst for your god father refresh their thirst refresh their hunger for you in the name of jesus let their thirst be quenched by the power of the holy ghost In John chapter 7 on the last day you stood up and cried if anyone is thirsty come and drink and lord father your children need that holy spirit he is the water they have to drink from the holy spirit they have to drink the holy spirit and i pray holy spirit you become a source of uh, living water in their belly right now someone may not have experienced you oh god and i pray right now they will experience this baptism of the holy spirit that you will be poured out upon them right now let them feel it let them feel it let them feel it let your love be poured out upon your children right now in the mighty name of jesus let them experience the outpouring of the holy spirit right now let your thirst be quenched by the holy spirit thank you lord for touching your children and ministering to them let them not forget it when they walk out of the church today but let them remember to hunger and thirst for you more and more day after day and night let them hunger and thirst for you and i commend them to your grace and i bind the enemy i command you satan you will not touch these children again i bind you i cover them with your precious blood i put a blurring around them in the name of jesus they are untouchable by the devil i declare them untouchable by the devil in the mighty name of jesus if you have a need in your heart you need healing you feel you're tired and you feel oh i wish i need a touch of god just sit down where you are if you need healing you need a touch of god just sit down where you are thank you jesus hallelujah sharaka basra kuroni rihasha basta kuroni Whoever wants longing for a touch from the Holy Spirit, just sit where you are. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who are standing, just find somebody who's sitting, one or two people, go lay your hand on their shoulder as I pray. You agree with me and release God's love and refreshing touch. Those who are standing can find somebody who's sitting, lay your hand upon their shoulder. stand with them kuroh shavastreni just make sure no one is left without being attending yeah let's pray now with all our heart let's pour out our heart for these people in the name of jesus christ of nazareth i pray right now for every one of your children right now lord i pray that they will know this refreshing touch of god 
that their thirst would be quenched by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray right now for a visitation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Holy Spirit, I pray, come with power. Lord Jesus, stand beside them right now, even as the people are standing beside them. Lay that nail pierced upon their head and release your love, release your power, release your glory, release your love, release, release, release your God. Power! I say, let the glory of God come upon them. Glory, 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 glory. Touch them now. Whatever is the need, be filled up now by the mighty grace of God. Every need be met by the mighty grace of God. Right now in their life. And let them feel that power enter them. The power of resurrection raising them up now. And set them on a rock higher than themselves. To the glory of your name. Thank you Jesus for hearing us. Thank for touching your children. Thank for refreshing them. Thank for the healing. We declare that healing by your stripes they are healed. I declare a word upon them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for visiting us this morning. Thank you for your presence. We worship you again. Holy, holy, holy. Who was, who is, who is to come. We worship you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.